Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I am your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today we've got a review of the new film from Joe Wright and starring Peter Dinklage, Cyrano. After that, I'll talk about some of the other movies I've been watching before bringing you another episode in the series I've been doing on religion and film. This time, I talk with cinephile and tattoo artist Kat Arkana about the 2015 Robert Eggers film, The Witch. Stay tuned. Pleasure to meet you, Cyrano de Bergerac. You're a freak. Freak. My dearest friend, I'd be very angry with you if you died. My sole purpose on this earth is to love Roxanne. Does she know? The world will never accept someone like me and a tall, beautiful woman. We have no money. A clever marriage is your only option. I won't be rescued. I'm not in distress. Love, does that mean nothing to you? Children need love. Adults need money. I need something to die for. Write poems and cry for. And I won't be ashamed. I'd give anything for someone to say that they can't live without me. to make. I am madly in love. Perhaps he feels the same. But I've never actually spoken to him. Of your love? I think. <laughs> he is Christian. Christian Nubelet. He's a new recruit in your regiment. Of course he is. A woman like Roxanne wants wit, romance, poetry. I don't know how to speak romantically. I am a poet. My words upon your lips. I will make you romantic. Will you make me handsome? She loves me! I that was the trailer for Cyrano, the newest film from director Joe Wright and starring Peter Dinklage, Haley Bennett, and Kelvin Harrison Jr. Cyrano tells the classic story of Cyrano de Bergerac, only in this version, instead of being mocked for having a large nose, Cyrano is ostracized and ridiculed because of his dwarfism. The story follows Cyrano as he pines after Roxanne, before she confesses her love for another man, Christian. Christian has feelings for Roxanne too, but he doesn't have the words to express himself. Cyrano is known for his wit and poetry, and he agrees to write love letters to Roxanne on Christian's behalf. What could go wrong? As you heard in the trailer, this version of the story is also a musical. My big question going into this film was, how is Peter Dinklage's singing voice? And the answer is, pretty good. He sounds best in the slower songs with his deep, rich bass fitting nicely with the lush, romantic tone of the film. Have you ever wanted something so badly you cannot breathe? Have you ever loved someone 
The music for the film is by Bryce and Aaron Desner. Notably, they also did the music for the recent film, Come On, Come On, which I loved, and they are the songwriters for the alternative rock band, The National. Funnily enough, Peter Dinklage's deep voice sounds a bit like Matt Berninger, the lead singer for The National. I'm a big fan of that band, so the music here really worked for me. One more piece of trivia for the Taylor Swift fans out there, Aaron Desner is also one of the songwriters she collaborated with on her most recent two albums, Folklore and Evermore. Back to Peter Dinklage. This film really plays to his strengths as an actor. I'm a big fan of his work in Game of Thrones. In fact, two of my favorite plot lines in the entire show center around his character Tyrion Lannister. One is in season two when he's being sly and dealing with all the political intrigue at King's Landing. And the other is his romantic relationship later in the series with Shay, which at least initially is incredibly sweet and he's so good in the romantic scenes. Peter Dinklage is very good when he's being shrewd and when he's being tender, and that's exactly who he gets to be as Cyrano. Joe Wright, the director behind Cyrano, is also responsible for films like Pride and Prejudice and Atonement, and this film feels similar to some of his other work in how heightened and romantic the production design and the costuming is. If anything, Cyrano is even more fanciful and dreamy than Wright's other films. It feels almost like a fairy tale at times. But that dreamy quality belies the fact that the film has some real dramatic heft and even gets pretty dark by the end. Cyrano, apart from being a gifted writer, speaks truth to power and has occasional threats to his life, and there's also a war sequence in the film's third act. But beyond those elements, the romance itself goes to some really tough places which impressed me. And there are some very nice touches in the screenwriting as well. In the film's opening, we first see Roxanne riding in her carriage, singing about how she'd give anything to be loved. I initially thought the film was setting her up as unique in this longing, that maybe she's the town's hopeless romantic, but she pulls up to the party she's attending, and as she enters, everyone joins in singing. We get moments of random people in the crowd singing the same song quietly to themselves, wishing desperately to find a steadfast, loving relationship. Love is in the air in this film, and I really appreciate the way this scene plays out and seems to say, we all long for a connection like this. Roxanne's struggle is universal in a way. The central three performers, by the way, all sound great. I've already discussed Peter Dinklage, but Kelvin Harrison Jr., who plays Christian, also has a great singing voice, and Haley Bennett as Roxanne is phenomenal. She's the standout for me musically in this film. A film like Cyrano works best if it successfully sweeps you up in its storytelling, and that's exactly the experience I had with it. Uh, I did have a few quibbles with it. There's one or two musical numbers I didn't care for, and there are a few vocalists whose acting is stronger than their singing, uh, and I also thought the film's ending could have been a bit better executed. 
but those are relatively minor issues. If you're someone who likes a good musical or an immersive period romance, Cyrano is both of those things, and I highly recommend it. I gave Cyrano 4 out of 5 stars, and it is now playing in theaters. When I'm watching a movie, I love to have a little snack, and I'm a big, big fan of popcorn. I recently discovered a company who makes popcorn I love so much, I decided to become an affiliate. So yes, this is an ad, but I will never try and sell you on something I don't love myself. The product is called Opop Pop. They make flavor-wrapped popcorn kernels, which means you can get a variety of tasty flavors on your popcorn straight from the microwave without having to pop and season it yourself on the stove. It comes in savory and sweet flavors like salted umami, vanilla cake pop, cinnalicious, which is like a cinnamon roll, and spicy cheddar. Right now, they also have some delicious holiday flavors, and you can try them all and get 10% off your first order by going to arthousegarage.com popcorn. And the link is in the show notes. All right, back to the show. And now it's time for a segment called What Have You Been Watching Lately? In which I tell you some of the other things I've been watching lately. Just a few things this week. Uh, I watched King Richard to round out my Best Picture nominees for the Oscars. This is directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green, and it stars Will Smith and Anjanou Ellis. This follows the story of Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams, and tells the true story of his plan for their rise to stardom. So this is a fairly predictable sports drama, uh, but I was interested to see it because I actually played tennis in high school. So I have a little bit of a connection and have always thought very highly of Venus and Serena Williams. And as predictable as this film is, the story is really powerful. Um, It's best when it is focusing on the family and the kind of the unusual family dynamics because of his parenting style. He really did make a plan and write it uh, like a business plan for these two of his daughters to become tennis stars. And he carries it out, and that's exactly how it goes, uh, which is just really unusual and remarkable. It's also a kind of a, an ethical gray area, right, because he doesn't really give his daughters a choice in the matter, uh, and I wish the film had leaned into the messiness of that a bit more. There is one neighbor who um, tells him, you know, you shouldn't be raising them this way, uh, but those are, I mean, just a few minutes of screen time in this two-hour-plus I think it's two and a half hours almost film and we don't get a whole lot about how the daughters felt about this uh the film seems to depict that they went right along with it and and loved playing and and that it you know obviously worked out very well Uh, but uh because this is focused on the parent character more than the the daughters those kind of parenting ethics I think uh could have been fertile ground to explore a bit more in the end, I did really enjoy this. As predictable as it was, when the music swelled at the end for the big emotional moment, I teared up a little bit, so it, it did its job well. Will Smith is really great, and so is Anjanou Ellis. Um, it seems like Will Smith is probably going to win the Oscar, I would imagine, and I'm happy that that is the case. Uh, I think this performance is very strong, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's going to be recognized after being nominated uh, a handful of times before. 
King Richard is available on demand, and I gave it 3.5 out of 5 stars. Next up is a film called Lover's Rock. This is a film directed by Steve McQueen. It's part of an anthology of five films called the Small Axe series. Uh, This is the second film in the series. The entire series is uh, focused on West Indian immigrants in London and this kind of subculture that uh, I believe Steve McQueen grew up in and each film looks at a different aspect of the culture. Uh, Most of them are pretty moving dramas. The first film in the series is called Mangrove and it's uh, like a legal drama that's very, very good as well. But this one is a bit of an outlier and my favorite in the series, Lover's Rock, tells the story of a house party. Um, it starts with people moving furniture and setting up these big speakers. You don't quite know what they're doing at first. And then you see uh, women in the kitchen cooking, uh, all kinds of different things. And then the, the camera zooms out at one point and you see the outside of the door. And there are signs that say the names of the food and uh, how much they cost. And you realize this is like the concession stand for this party and people come the DJs play this incredible reggae music that um, the the film really gives a lot of time to the music and you uh, I at least for the first time kind of saw the appeal of reggae and not that I ever hated it but uh, it wasn't a genre that I knew much about but um, you really see a lot of diversity within the genre and um you see people appreciating it and you know this is their music this is their culture and they love it uh it's kind of a hangout movie it's a very loose plot it's a a collection of beautiful moments and there are some also really awful moments within this and that's what's interesting about it is the tone is mostly really upbeat but it does pause and have these dramatic moments uh one in particular very dark moment but beyond that there's also the constant threat of racism which is present throughout all five films in this series but uh, it really sets up that this home that all these people come to is kind of a safe space uh, a rare safe space perhaps Uh, at a few points people wander just you know a block away and um, are met by thugs racially motivated thugs who are uh, threatening them with violence so within the house there's a lot of time spent on the dance floor uh, and some really just beautiful camera work as Uh, We see all these fast dancing, slow dancing, all kinds of things. There's one song where it's it's sort of kind of becomes guy's night for a second and it's almost a mosh pit. And and, and it's just really incredible to see. I mean, even the extras in this film are, are really a part of the fabric of it. And it's just it's so human and so filled with um, joy and uh, just deep emotion and and just in passing little moments you get to know so much about all these characters most of whom we don't even know their name but it's really a remarkable film incredibly well put together the story does follow a young woman who uh, sneaks out of her home to attend this party meets up with a friend they get on the train um, and so you kind of get this london scene and then arrives at the house and she over the course of the night falls in love and that's sort of the main anchor of the story although there's a lot of side stories and and again it's very loose uh, it, it it really is a hangout movie the party goes all night and and one of the most amazing moments in the film is near the very end um the two lovers are uh, riding a bike and uh, headed to uh his workplace actually but 
we get this amazing shot where we see them gliding along but they're just at the bottom of the frame and we see the trees and the sunlight above them as it's now morning and we can't see the bike the bike is just out of frame so they're just gliding along and it really is sort of this this visualization of the feeling of being in love and uh, they they seem weightless and are floating in the frame and uh, it's a really wonderful transcendent moment in in this incredible incredible film this was actually my number two favorite film of 2020 back when it came out and I made my top 10 list that year I gave this film five out of five stars and it is now streaming on Amazon Prime and just one more thing, I watched Tick, Tick, Boom. This is the directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda, written by Stephen Levinson and Jonathan Larson, based on his musical. Uh, it stars Andrew Garfield, who has been nominated for an Oscar for his performance. It follows the life of Jonathan Larson, just a few weeks in his life. Uh, he's the creator of Rent. And I found this film really moving and, and incredibly well acted. It's a lot about creativity and kind of the pull between living a creative life and following your dreams and your art or falling back to a more traditional, financially stable life. Andrew Garfield is amazing. Uh, I'm very glad that he was nominated for this for the Oscar. I'd be happy if he won, although I do think it's probably going to be Will Smith. Uh, but there are a lot of great musical numbers some very exciting cameos and it's it's fun and moving i'd say in pretty much equal measure there are a few drawbacks uh, the direction is solid but it did feel like it mostly played it safe and there's an awful lot of shots of a person singing and the camera is just slowly circling around them we get that shot over and over which is fine uh, but it's just not the most exciting uh, direction there are also some choices made i don't know if this is at the script level or at the direction level but a few choices that just didn't quite work for me. For instance, there's a, a conversation that we know is coming between Jonathan and his girlfriend, and he's kind of been avoiding the issue, and it's, we know it's going to be very dramatic when it does arrive, and it finally gets here. And so the, the construction of the film is that it's a one-man show, uh, one man plus a band, and he's sort of narrating and singing and telling the story of the film that we're watching. And so it's Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson on stage telling the story and then we're cutting to uh, watching it happen and it kind of goes back and forth so during this scene with this big dramatic conversation argument we were expecting it uh, sets up a song to happen at the same time and it cuts in between the song being performed and the actual conversation being had uh, and I didn't like this for two reasons. <laughs> One, I really wanted to hear the details of the conversation and, and give that some space to breathe and like really sit in that because it was this dramatic thing I've been waiting to happen. And also because the song that's playing at the same time, it's a song about relationship arguments. And it's also very silly, like intentionally very over the top silly. Andrew Garfield is making really silly faces as he sings it. And like he commits to it and it's great, but it really... Uh, I see why they did it. Like, I, I, I get the choice. I just wish uh, it would have been probably done in a more traditional way. I know I just criticized the movie for being too safe. And then here's one thing that it did that was not safe that I did not really like. But there are some other choices, a few other things that uh, were outside the box that I did like. There's um, a scene, a brunch scene, that if you've seen the film, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's a stressful day at the, the diner where he works at the Moondance Diner and uh, that that's a standout scene absolutely for me for the for the film. 
In the end, I did find it quite emotional and a fitting tribute to Jonathan Larson. I'm very glad this film exists and that I got to see it. You can see it as well on Netflix now, and I gave it four out of five stars. And that is what I've been watching lately. And now it's time to turn to our ongoing series on faith and the movies called The Art of Deconstruction, Faith, Doubt, and Film. Today's guest is someone I met online through mutual friends. She's a tattoo artist, she's a big fan of folk horror, and she loves cinema. Her name is Kat Arkina, and I had a wonderful time talking with her about her spiritual life and how it has changed drastically over the years. The film she selected is Robert Eggers' 2015 folk horror powerhouse, The Witch. This is a film I've seen a handful of times before, and it just gets better every time I watch it. The story follows a Puritan family in 1630s New England as they are banished from their town over a religious dispute. They move out and settle in the wilderness near a forest that may or may not be haunted by a witch. There are a number of religious themes running through this film and many religious conversations between the characters, so it is a great film to discuss in this series. The film stars Anya Taylor-Joy in her debut role, as well as Ralph Einson and Kate Dickey. The film is also gorgeously shot and filled with incredibly rich period detail, in addition to being genuinely horrifying in many places. Uh, we do not spoil the ending of this film in our conversation, so listen away if you haven't seen it. But The Witch also has an incredible ending that I will highly recommend if you haven't seen it. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Here first is a clip of the film's trailer, followed by my conversation with Kat Arkina about The Witch. What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Welcome to the podcast, Kat Johnson, a.k.a. Kat Arkana. How are you today? I'm great, Andrew. It's great to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to do this. Um, so, so we've you know, just recently met through Facebook, really, um, and mm -hmm. through mutual friends. And um, I'm excited to kind of get to know you a little bit better on the fly here as we hear about you. Um, one thing you told me when we spoke before was that you're really into folk horror. Um, what about that genre appeals to you? Oh, man. So folk horror was a genre that I sort of stumbled into a few years back 
when one of my best friends introduced me to the wicker man the original mm, yeah and i was like whatever this weird genre is i want to know more about it so i just sort of dove in and found myself yeah. going through all of them nice yeah it, it's a genre i've always meant to get more into and it's today's film that we're going to talk about the witch i have seen before but like i've never seen the wicker man i've never seen uh i don't know any of the, the big kind of big titles i've seen that there's like a I think Shudder has a bunch of folk horror stuff right now that I, I would love to dive into if I had the time. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, so I'm excited to hear uh, your kind of reaction to this film. And um, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Well, as we've been going through this series, we're, we're talking to people about their kind of their faith journey and, and how their faith has changed over the years. So first question to you is um, tell us about yourself and, and as much detail as you're comfortable with how your faith has, has kind of evolved or changed over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a very um, evangelical Christian home. Mm. Um, super. Uh, my dad was a youth pastor. And oh, so the Bible was, yeah, it was super important. The church was super important. Um, I probably spent every Wednesday and Sunday there since I was mm. born. So church was a big, big deal for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then eventually I went to a Christian college, Biola University in Los Angeles, and, you know, you would think I would become more religious going, but <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> by meeting so many different kinds of Christians or like mm -hmm. people of varying faiths, it really sort of opened my eyes to, you know, there's all different interpretations. There's all different, you know, faiths and people's behavior. And I don't know, it just sort of mm -hmm. opened my eyes to a different world of possibility other than Southern Baptist Protestant that I was fed yeah. for so many years. Absolutely. That's, that resonates so much with, with me. I went to a Christian college also and, and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you expect that you yeah, become more devout, but it kind of funny how that <laughs> happens. It kind of can swing the other way and, and you can still become exposed to other viewpoints and in a good and healthy way, I think. But uh, yeah, sorry to For interrupt sure. you. Oh, no, no, that's perfect. Yeah. So that's, that's basically it for me. So I yeah. became, well, I, I was Protestant and then I thought, well, maybe I could be a little more uh, theistic, maybe I could be mm. atheistic, maybe I could be pagan, maybe, you know, just yeah. trying on different Trying hats. different things, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you, do you feel like you've settled anywhere or is it still a, a journey of whatever you is know, working? <laughs> you know, I, I do feel like it's always a journey. Mm -hmm. um, I like to think that I'm just sort of a skeptic, but open to all the possibilities yeah, mostly yeah. i like just hearing people's stories and mm -hmm. you know if, if faith is meaningful to some people like that's great that's awesome mm -hmm. um, growing and learning <laughs> yeah yeah i like that and so for a job you are a tattoo artist right i am yes yeah that's really cool well tell us about the film that you selected today the witch is one that i've seen a few times um so I guess just for people who haven't seen it, what's it about? Who's in it? And that kind of thing. All right. So The Witch is a 2015 film directed by um, Robert Eggers. And it was a stylized version. It's called A New England Folktale. So it's supposed to be set in the 1630s. Um, and it's really a great period piece of mm. a family, a Puritan family that came over from England that has now become separated from their um, community. Um, and then a bunch of weird stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they go out on their own, yeah, in a farm, and there's maybe the devil, maybe witchcraft. Um, but it, it gets pretty wild. <laughs> it does, yes. Yeah, Robert Eggers is so interesting. He can tell he loves history and like so much of the, the period detail is, I think, so much mm -hmm. of why this film is so good but um yeah and it's 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 got a lot of spirituality kind of woven into the story and um i think one of the first things i heard someone say about this film is that they liked it because it takes puritanism seriously and i thought that was an interesting way to put it and and watching the yes. film i think that that makes sense and um yeah it, it doesn't oh you know, maybe maybe that's what you're going to talk about i don't want to steal your thunder about that but it uh presents these people um and this family who's very devout in a um i don't know a, a very realistic light and it uh, it doesn't you know mock them for their faith um right as much as it does you know that faith is a big part of it and it is um i i, I we maybe we can talk about how much or a little that their faith has to do with their undoing as a family which is kind of where mm -hmm. the, the film goes but okay yeah so let's i guess let's get into that third question which is what about this film resonates with you and with your faith oh man well for me um one of the biggest underlying themes of the movie that i was getting was that it's this young woman sort of coming to terms with her own power her own sexuality mm -hmm. her mm -hmm. own individuality and for me, going through that very similar experience in high school and college, uh, mm -hmm. you know, really, really resonated and just sort of, who am I outside of the faith of my parents, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I, yeah, I really identified with that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's so interesting. This time, um, watching it again, the the opening scene, I think, is, is so interesting. And, and so, like, basically, the family is banished over a faith dispute so first of all i thought you know isn't that like the story of christianity is that we fight and then we split off like that's <laughs> if yes. you look at like all the denominations that's how they are all formed is like we thought we were right about this point we we're more religious we we're more devout and we we're gonna leave and so like they're they're you know telling the father off and he's he calls them false christians he's like i i don't care what you think because you don't you know really believe in christ and um <laughs> But then what I for, had forgotten was like the shot of them leaving. Like we see mm -hmm. there's like a first person shot of like, I guess their, their, their horse drawn carriage thing, pulling them across the field outside mm -hmm. of the town and like the, the gate shutting in their face. But then it cuts and we see Thomason, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, mm -hmm. and she is uh, just looking so despondent and, and like pulling away from, um, you know, her whole life. And, and I just had the sense of like, she is in a sense trapped by the actions of her father in this scene. And then, and, and it's like, this is going to drastically alter her life and it's completely yes. out of her hands. You know, I thought that was an interesting thing that had some, some kind of uh, religious trauma resonance this time around. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what about, um, are, are there other aspects of this film that, you find uh just as a cinema fan that that like you have favorite moments or favorite performances in this film oh black philip by far oh, <laughs> the yes, goat. yes yes he's so great <laughs> i love uh, that yeah. he's just kind of chilling <laughs> the goat is amazing yeah he's he's so great but i mean also anya taylor joy i mean what mm. a film debut she was yeah. such a powerhouse in this film yeah, it's really remarkable. Um, her her performance, like I, there's a scene early on where she's praying and it's this close up and um, and she's just like, wow, she's 
she's so committed to this and, and everyone is like all the accents are so amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Ralph Einson, his, the father's voice is always incredible. And I'm just like, I could just listen to him all day. <laughs> yes. and, and like kind of gruff, but somehow velvety kind of like, just yes. love listening to him talk. Um, the performance I really like this time around too is, um, the, the brother Caleb so there's a couple yes. of brothers I guess there's Jonas and Mercy are the young twins and then there's Caleb and Thomas and, and Caleb um, he really has the crisis of faith moment too early on in the film where um, the dad takes them out to see if there's anything in their trap and uh, at this point so I guess a major plot point for anyone who hasn't seen it is that early on the baby they, there's a newborn that's with them so they're banished they go out and create build a house near the woods and where there may or may not be a witch living and um the the newborn baby is disappears while thomason's watching him samuel and um we get a, a frightening sequence of what the witch does with the baby which is uh, horrifying but um right. the fallout of that is what's so interesting i think where caleb is it's i think it's within the week that that's happened and they've kind of given up hope that that the baby's going to be saved and um he is so concerned with whether or not the baby is in heaven or hell and <laughs> i think that's something that as my own faith has uh changed is is like beliefs about the afterlife and how much that affects people and especially children and like if you believe <laughs> if you're told that this is how things work and uh, there's a certain thing waiting for you after death um, depending on how you live um then that obviously that has a, a mental toll on you um and and so i think that's and and you know as i've questioned those things myself and and come to different conclusions about you know we don't have to talk about whether or not we believe in the afterlife but like um just like a belief in hell and that we deserve to go there i think that's so uh right damaging to kids and so he you know he this baby hasn't been baptized yet but by the time he disappears mm -hmm. and so he's like oh this baby must be in hell and the dad kind of doesn't really know how to answer it it seems like he just says we don't know what what god's doing you know we don't we don't know god's ways are higher than ours or, or some version of right that. um and then he says something like well, you know we're so low and god is so high that we should be grateful that we have the kids we have, you know, which is such an interesting yeah. turn on that um, question. Yeah. Uh, but then, you mm -hmm. know, he's, he's saying if this baby who's less than a week old, uh, the brother thinking this mm -hmm. is in danger of going to hell, then what does that mean for me? You know, and I've you right. know, been alive this long and sinning. And um, so like the logical fallacies you run into with that and, and how that mm -hmm. is devastating to this, to this child. Um, yeah. I really like that, that portion of it a lot. I'd kind of forgotten how that all, went but there's a that really digs into those those kind of spiritual yeah. conversations in the beginning of the film um, um before everything kind of goes wild and then oh yeah it goes nuts, nuts at the end um, yeah i mean just the idea of the quote-unquote sinfulness of children like mm, they mm -hmm. you know thomason's early prayers about you know i have sinned but all of his sins are just typical childlike mm -hmm. behavior you know mm -hmm. sometimes i don't pray sometimes i play on sunday you know she's yeah. mm -hmm. it's so absurd <laughs> yeah and she's mm -hmm. you know and, and she's you see how devout she is because she's all by herself you know there's yeah. no one watching her making this prayer like she really believes that this is what she's supposed to be doing and um yeah talks about how i deserve nothing but shame and and all of this and mm -hmm. it's like so intense but it's like also mm -hmm. 
weirdly familiar, you know, <laughs> having you know, grown up in the church, but uh, yeah. 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 Um, one of the things that really um, sort of kicked off my pulling away from the Southern Baptist church was mm. actually an experience related to uh, the sinfulness of children. Mm. Um, I was told I worked as a, as an assistant youth pastor wow. and I was instructed to give a hellfire sermon to a group mm. of 10 year olds. And I thought, nope, I'm not going to do that (laughs) because they are 10. Yeah. And it was so strange. Um, But yeah. So, yes, it was very familiar to me. That was a time I actively chose not to do that. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like it put you in a really tough position because, yeah, that's that is so normalized that, um, well, we all deserve to go to hell. And so you know, if, if that really is true, then we have to tell the kids too. And, and, and then that gets into the whole question of age of accountability, which uh, also was a big part of my pulling away. Um, because yeah, you can see so many logical fallacies in it if you really examine it. And the big thing for me was age of accountability. So for people not familiar, that's the idea that kids reach a certain age and then they're held accountable for their sins. Uh, but right. if they die before that, then they're still going to go to heaven is basically the right. So that's kind of what I grew up learning and uh, it's like, I guess that must be how it is. Um, and I think, so I, when I started to really question that, I was like, well, let me just look at, you know, the, the Bible verse about this. Guess what? There's not really one. <laughs> like it's, right. it's, it's something that <laughs> tradition has decided based on a few different verses. Like I can see how they pull together this logical argument, but mm-hmm. um, it's, it's not like a... You know, and, and that was that was when I started to really question the idea of inerrancy. And um, yeah, so mm-hmm. this film really played into to those kind of questions, too, for sure. Yeah. And it just kind of gets into the whole idea of, you know, what you believe about God really affects how you live. And so, if, mm-hmm. I mean, we have the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. If we believe in a God who's primarily angry, then we should be primarily afraid. And that's mm-hmm. that's how this family's living. And I, I think how Puritans really did see all of that yeah. so um yeah that's it's it's powerful for that reason that it shows a believable and like fully rounded um character study of kind of people in that situation yeah mm-hmm. and just the readiness to believe that the the youngest kids um mercy and um what was the other uh, jonas person? i think jonas yeah just to their readiness to believe that they were witches too they're like mm. five years old yeah yeah <laughs> amazing yeah yeah and so it's interesting too so this is more of a filmmaking thing but like i so i've heard someone say that they wish that we didn't get the the witch sequence Mm. early on and and that they felt like the movie would be stronger if we didn't know whether there was really a witch that it was you know a Mm. question and that's this infighting and um seeing how like and in that sense it becomes like a salem witch trial of like just blaming Mm. people and and getting carried away, which I think that is pretty compelling, but I also Mm. like that it goes to that horror place and, and um, we do see the witch and then we see the witch's actions. And, um, Mm. but, but yeah, I really, I I, I do like that. It kind of goes full horror early on. um, And then we kind of know what kind of film we're dealing with. Oh, absolutely. I second that because how often in the witch movies are you wondering, is there really a witch? Is there not? Mm-hmm. But this one, yes, there is. Here she is. Look at her. Yeah. yeah Fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Just that basically, I think this movie in a way is, um, you know, Puritans can be so afraid of these, these dark spiritual forces that, uh, you know, I generally 
don't believe that existed the way that they were afraid of, you know? Um, But this film is like, what if those, what if these fears were true? What if there really is a witch out here and like what might, might happen? And, um, and then where the end goes, of course, is like, so intense. And, uh, I love the ending of this film. Um, the first time I saw it, I was so surprised by it. Maybe we can not spoil it just for anyone who hasn't seen it, but, um, but yeah, I really, really like the, the ending to the film. Oh yeah, the the ending, just Thomason's journey up to mm. the point of speaking to the goat and then yeah. everything after, I just thought was so cathartic to everything mm. that she had gone through, for sure. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think I think people have different reads on that. Like I feel the same way that mm-hmm. I think it's like cathartic in a way, that's a good word for it because it's, mm-hmm. you know, all the stuff she's been through, again, powerless. I, I think that's a, a good way to say, like you said earlier, she's coming into mm-hmm. her power in this moment. Um, and whether or not you think her decision is a good one, she's stepping into her power and, um, and it, it's, it's a, it's a big decision, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I was going to say too, is just the, another thing that kind of felt familiar, uh, was the, the kind of feeling like everything is over spiritualized and like, um, mm-hmm. just mundane things we can blame on God or the devil, depending on how we feel that at that moment. <laughs> so oh, right. uh, there was well, a the moment that I registered that was uh, when at the beginning, when William and Caleb, uh, the father and son get up before mm-hmm. everyone else, he, he says something, Oh, everyone's still asleep. And he says on a gray day like this, cause it's like cloudy outside. He says on a gray day, the devil holds fast your eyelids. And it's like, right. we're <laughs> going to blame the devil for our sleepiness because of the clouds. Yes. Like, Yes. Um, and just like, but I guess that also gets into the whole like science versus religion and it doesn't have to be verses. Right. But like, if you don't understand, like, right. I don't know, physiology and when it's dark outside, we want to sleep more. Um, that's mm-hmm. like, that's a scientific thing. And we can right. just say, oh, it's the devil doing this. Um, that's fair. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> so the experience you had when you um, refused to speak to the kids at church. Uh, I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear more about that. So you were, you said you were like a youth leader or like you were a leader of the kids. Is that right? Yeah. So this was such a weird time in my life. This was like uh, midway through college and I was mm-hmm. really struggling with whether I believed in this particular brand of Christianity or not. Mm-hmm. And so that summer I really gave it 150%. And I said, if this is what I believe, I'm going to go mm-hmm. through and do, you know, do it the right way put in all my energy. So I was a kids ministry intern. And so I spent all summer with these kids and it was a great summer program, except for the last day where Mm. they did the big hellfire speech. And, you know, it was so striking that, you know, I had this experience of getting to know these kids as kids. And then to realize that that was what the church wanted at the end of that experience was Mm. like, it felt kind of like a betrayal in a sense. Yeah. So, yeah. And so thankfully the kids were just by themselves with me. And I had this one little girl that was really distraught. And she said, you know, specifically came up to me and said, you know, I'm really worried about my soul, you know? And I said, you know what, you're eight. You don't have to worry about that mm-hmm. right now. You just right. go play. And we'll talk about that when you calm down and, you know, we can have a better talk about it. And eventually she was okay. Um, But, you know, it really got me thinking about that whole thing. And, you know, I really felt like that's just not something that should have been even said to her. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, it was such a, an odd thing. And I don't think I ever really talked to my boss pastor about it. I think mm -hmm. it was just my choice to have that discussion or not with the mm -hmm. children. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was a real thinking moment for me as to mm -hmm. what I wanted to do with that. Yeah, well, yeah, so I was wondering if you, you know, got in trouble or anything. But so it was just like an, yeah. an individual kind of group meeting, I guess. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the hellfire <laughs> and brimstone is, I don't know, just the whole like, we're going to react out of fear, out of love. And, you know, if I'm, yeah. <laughs> if you stay in your religion out of fear. Um, yes. I, it just seems such, uh, seems fragile. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Um, so I was curious how long, so after this experience, how long did you stay with that church or stay, you know, within evangelicalism or Southern Baptist churches in general? Right. So that experience was a real turning point for me. Um, I spent the rest of the summer with them, just finishing out their summer camp program. Um, but immediately after that, I, I went back to school and I thought, no, that path is not for me. And it really sort of, you know, sent me along my way <laughs> down the journey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe a couple months, I think. <laughs> wow. So that really was yeah. kind of the, the beginning of the end. It sounds like, wow. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was like a summer camp kind of thing. It was. And man, it was such a great summer camp. Other than that, it's like mm. it gave all the kids, they got to do like a free trips to the water park and a sports camp, with like Olympic athletes that came. Like it was so cool, all for free for the whole community, whoever wanted to That's go. Cool. Uh, except that one little last day, like just cut that out and it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever um, experience the, like the, basically it's a haunted house, but they call it like a Oh, the hell like house. A, it's a hell, yeah, hell house kind of thing. Oh. Did you ever do those? <laughs> no, I never did. But years later, I got to work at an actual fun haunted house. So that oh, was cool. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. When you pull the religious trauma out of those things. Oh, yeah. Haunted house is really fun. Yeah, I love them. Definitely. Yeah, yeah we, we had those. I attended and like I never like participated in one as an actor or anything like that. But I went through mm -hmm. one a couple of times. Oh, and, no. Uh, I mean, it's always just so bizarre because it's like this is yeah. only just a bunch of, you know, people I know in youth group. And yeah, uh, suddenly it's like a theatrical experience in our church. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I talk about scaring you into heaven. Like exactly, <laughs> the, exactly the goal. Yeah. Clearly. Absolutely. The goal there. Yeah, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so you spoke about identifying with Thomason and how she in this film kind of steps into her power. Um, you know, she starts out the film very powerless and, and gradually and at the end really steps into it in a big way. Um, I was curious, like, as that parallels to your own life, um, do you have, were there moments along the way of, of your kind of spiritual journey that you felt like uh, this was a moment that I can remember that I, I made a step, an intentional step into power or claimed to power in some way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I know how we talked about earlier um, when I went to college was a real eye-opening experience for me. Um, one of the things that I got to do in college was actually a study abroad program in New York City. Oh, wow. And yeah, just getting out there into that environment. And I got mm -hmm. to spend six months with artists. And at the end of it culminated with my own art show at the very end. Yeah. And it just, it was so cool. And it just felt so powerful to be able to do that. 
That's amazing. Yeah. I, having those experiences where you get to be around like really diverse people. So like at, at, at college, you mentioned like that was the experience, but then I bet even mm-hmm. more so going into mm-hmm. an environment like that. And, uh, especially being around mm-hmm. artists, I think that's something too, that I can identify a bit with is, um, I don't know, like this is tangential and I feel like I'm, I don't mean to take over this part of the conversation, but just like creativity in general, I think is something that oh, yeah. wasn't necessarily valued. Um, I mean, yes. that's, that's really common. Like when, you know, when budget cuts happen at schools, it's the English programs that go, or it's the art programs that go. Mm-hmm. Um, but realizing that I think there is something really special about creativity, maybe even something sacred or holy or spiritual yes. about it. And, mm-hmm. um, finding, uh, yeah. So I guess I can identify again. I don't want to take away from your point there, but just like yeah, stepping into power in a way or, um, yeah, just claiming something for my own. I think I've, I've, I've felt that in, at different moments. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, Thank what you. kind of art did you do there? Was it like painting? So or? I, yeah, I did everything. I did drawing, collage, paintings, all different things. Um, but you know, those experiences really got me, um, you know, thinking about being an illustrator. And then now what I currently do is a tattoo artist. So yeah. Like making totally a career great. out of being creative. That's so cool. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I was just watching very, very different movie than the witch, but I was catching <laughs> mm-hmm. up with Oscar stuff for this year and uh tick, tick, boom, the, the Jonathan mm. Larson, uh, yes. biopic of sorts. Um, it, but it's so much of that is about, you know, should I take a creative path or, um, do mm-hmm. something that seems easier in some ways to like be more traditional and get a day job kind of thing. And I thought exactly. that struggle in particular was, is really well depicted in that film. So I don't know, that just makes me think of that. I'll recommend that. Definitely. I, was, I was a fan of it. So one other comment I wanted to make is on the film's treatment of the wilderness and nature. Mm. Um, Black Phillip is such a strong presence in the film and it's very reminiscent of the horned God of the witches, the great God Pan um, embodying the earth. And at this time, there was actually a really strong belief that Puritans, that settlers needed to come through and completely conquer nature. Um, mm. It's actually said a couple times in the movie, we will conquer this wilderness. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And then at the end to have, um, well, the fate of the father mm-hmm. <laughs> happen the way that it did, yeah, um, I wow. think that's fantastic. Yeah, really turning that on its head, isn't it? Wow, I, didn't, I haven't. I, that's so interesting because I think um, when I when I watch like paranormal horror things, I, I often think, oh, I should. I wonder if there's true history behind this, but I I never mm-hmm. really look it up. So thanks for filling that in because that's I didn't know that the the wilderness connection with with mm-hmm. Black Phillip specifically that is really mm-hmm. cool. Well, that is the witch. Uh, a really really good film. Really. Um, yeah, just so much spiritual talk and, and faith things, I think, to draw out of it. And um, yeah, thanks for choosing this. I was glad to to re-experience it because it's a whole thing about, uh, it's like a Wong Kar Wai quote that he does about editing his movies, but um, he, he compares it to like some old Chinese proverb about you, you never step in the same river twice because the river's not the same and you're not the same like every time so like stepping back into the world of this film now versus five years ago is like a a very different experience so thank you for absolutely prompting that again (laughs) and thanks so much for joining us thanks for sharing and um i really really appreciate it we'll have to have you back again uh and and talk about something else 
Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Huge thanks to Kat. That was great. I'm so glad she suggested The Witch. It's a film I didn't expect to cover in this series, but it's actually a perfect fit. Well, that's all for this episode. Next time, I've got filmmaker Clayton Henderson returning to the show for a review of The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson. I'm pretty excited for that film and for that conversation with Clayton. And then I will round out this series on religion and film with one final episode. I've got a very special conversation with Rocky Roggio, director of a film called 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted Culture. The film is a documentary about the Bible, and in particular, the word homosexual in the Bible. The film explores how that word came to be in the Bible and whether it should be there at all. The title is 1946 because that is the year the word homosexual first appeared in a Bible translation. Very interesting stuff, and I'm so excited to talk with Rocky about it. So stay tuned next time for that one. And with that, thank you, thank you for listening to Art House Garage. We've got a few years worth of episodes now, and you can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Art House Garage, leave a rating or review in your podcast app. Or you can buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com shop. Stay in the loop about Art House Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter. That is at arthousegarage.com subscribe. Or you can email me directly, andrew at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free. <laughs>